Please pray with me. Almighty and everlasting God, creator of us all, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray, more ready to give than we either desire or deserve. By your spirit and your word, pour out upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask, except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I'm taking the liberty this evening to share a message from the epistle reading, and if I were to give a title to it, it will be motivated from a different place. Motivated from a different place. A couple of weeks ago, Lisa Sharon Hopper, who will be the presenter at this year's clergy convocation, was here in town meeting with folk and laying a foundation for the work that she'll be doing over a six-month period of time here in Richmond. And one of the meetings I attended with her was a small gathering of clergy from the Faith Leaders Group who meet and partner with the Richmond Police Department. Lisa's closing question to the group was, what do you think is the primary thing needed from clergy or churches that would help heal your community? Unequivocally, the responses that came forth pointed to one thing, the need to die to self, to self-interest, to self-centeredness, self-importance, self-aggrandizement. As I considered the collective responses, a second question came up for me, and that was, where do we find the motivation to do all this dying? Where do we find the motivation to let go, to give up? For surely the motivation to do so must come from a different place than we have known. And even as this second question surfaced, I sensed that the answer we needed can be found in an ideology that Apostle Paul offered to all of Christendom. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Demetrius Williams, professor at Tulane University in New Orleans, says in a commentary on Philippians that everything Paul had to say in this letter to the church at Philippi is governed by his admonishment that the church must live as a community worthy of the gospel of Christ. Living as a community worthy of the gospel of Christ is to live in a paradigm of partnership. The New Testament Greek word for that is koinonia. To live in koinonia is to live in fellowship, to share, to participate, to contribute. Paul declares in Philippians 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship, any koinonia, with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. The call to the church then 
as it is now, is to live in agreement with one another, to be united in purpose, to serve alongside one another. Our koinonia with each other is based on our common koinonia with Jesus Christ. And not unlike that which Paul explicitly addresses in his letter to the church at Philippi, some of what David read tonight in our hearing, in Christ we already have the answer to the healing and the transformation that's needed in our community. In chapter 2 of this epistle, we find these words, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, and though at, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ Jesus has given us the key model for living effective lives, for living lives that heal and transform. And it's not just a nice moralistic approach to life, but it's a foundational paradigm for communal living and partnership. We find in Christ's example to us three key shifts that happened before the healing and the transformational work of a community was affected. There was an acknowledgement of a privileged status. The word of God says he was in the form of God. There was a voluntary loss of that privilege he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And thirdly, there was an exaltation. God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. In this epistle to the church at Philippi, Paul also lifts up Timothy and Epaphroditus as Christ-like models for those who are willing to live as a community worthy of the gospel of Christ. Timothy's humility, his concern for others, and his right attitude of partnership is pointed out. Epaphroditus, who came close to death because of his commitment to live for Christ, is lifted up as one who demonstrates that living such a commitment might look like, what it might look like when one is willing to share the fullness of the human experience. And then, drawn from Christ's example, Paul boldly lifts up himself as another example before the church at Philippi. In doing so, he reiterates the acknowledgement of one's privileged status, one's voluntary loss, and the hope in the final exaltation. 
a hope that is motivated from a different place, a different place than what we have previously known, a hope of knowing that something better is yet to come, not just for himself and not just for the church at Philippi, but for you and me and all of the world. And, ad and, and addressing his own privileged status, Paul says, if anyone has a reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul makes it known that when it comes to the world's standard, many, like himself, can attest to their privilege by naming their impressive credentials, their upbringing, their nationalities, their family background, their inheritance, their orthodoxy, their activity, or even their sense of morality. Many people, even Christians, live only to make a good impression on others or to please themselves. And Paul would call this self-centered living a way of life that only serves to sow seeds of discord. And in this hour when our nation and our communities are so divided, so broken, we are encouraged to live together in unity with one heart and one purpose. When we do that, we are living Christ's example of putting others first. We are no longer motivated by the things of the world. Rather, we are motivated from a different place, a place which allows the Spirit of God to work through us to attract others to God. It's a place where we can let go of the code of values that we know all too well. We can let go of the futile nature of credentials and accomplishments and reputations or any other privilege we think we might have, none of which can earn us wholeness in God, nor will they afford us healing in our community. The healing and the wholeness that we seek comes only through faith in the Christ, the Christ among us, the Christ within us. Yet whatever gains I had, Paul said, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. To hold on to earthly codes of value is to put confidence in the flesh. The words of this epistle admonishes us that we ought not put confidence in what we ourselves can do. As a matter of fact, don't put confidence in any human effort. Rather, know that it is in Christ that we find true joy and strength for doing anything worthwhile. 
Paul's example helps us to see that because of our hope in Christ, not only are we able to let go of our own efforts, but we are also empowered to let go of any guilt or shame associated with our past. And in turning our attention toward Christ, we will be empowered to become who we were created to be, who we profess to be, and who our community needs us to be. Paul had evidence in his own life, as do many of us, that ultimately any confidence in ourselves will wane weak and perhaps even die. I would venture to say that there are but few who knew better than Paul what it means to die to self. Speaking of his privilege and his loss, at one point Paul said, I know how to abase and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul gave up family, friendship, and political freedom in order to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. We too have access to the same knowledge of Christ and the same power of the resurrection, and only God knows what we might have to give up. But what we do know is that in Christ, there is hope. The final shift in the example Christ offers is the hope of exaltation. Not an example to be viewed simpler as a reward for doing good and sacrificial work, but an example of what it takes to allow Christ to be in a place in our lives that, we, that he might serve through us as a liberator for all, that by the Christ in us, we become healing agents in the earth. And this, I believe, is the Christ that Paul sought to know when he said, I want to know the Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in his death, even somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached a goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. As followers of Christ, with the single-mindedness of an athlete in training, we must keep our eyes on the goal. We must lay aside everything harmful and sometimes even lay aside good things, anything that distracts us from being in tune with the Christ within us. Like Paul, like the church at Philippi, we are in Christ for sure. Yet we are struggling in our present reality. Nevertheless, if we, the church, God's healing agent in the world, seek to end the dissensions and divisions among us, join together in unity and partnership, we too will progress and share in Christ's ultimate victory. 
It is easy to place more value on religious efforts than on internal faith. But God honors the attitudes of our hearts more than anything else. God knows all we do and will certainly reward us for all of our good deeds. But more than that, God is most pleased when we have forgotten all that lies behind. When we are moving forward to what lies ahead, when we are pressing toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, we have Timothy, we have Ephrodites, and we have Paul, and we have a great cloud of witnesses of men and women, young and old, who have already gone before us, who have already set an example, men and women who have helped to feed our faith and offer us hope. Now, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. In Christ, we are motivated from a different place, no longer operating from compulsions or pride or fear. In this place, we can let go of caring what the world wants or thinks. We can turn to God, what God desires and what God cares about. We can live a transformed life as an effective witness to the power of God in our lives. It is our call and it is our joy to live so Christ can use us. Use us to heal and to transform even as we have been healed and transformed. And as I was sitting here with this word, just thinking about what it means to live so God can use us, I thought about the song that Wendell Whalum sung, I'm going to live so God can use me. Anywhere, Lord, anytime. I'm going to work so God can use me. Anywhere, Lord, anytime. I'm going to pray so God can use me. Anywhere, Lord, anytime. I'm going to sing so God can use me anywhere, anytime. We're motivated from a different place. So let us forget what lies behind. Let us strain forward to what lies ahead and press on to the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.